It is, of course, the day on which we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Today, for some of us, some of you, fasting, or at least giving up chocolate or alcohol can stop, because it's the end of Lent. We ate a lot of chocolate in our house yesterday, much to my regret. Um, under the Old Covenant, there were days, there were times when you either feasted or fasted. There were times for both. Days when they abstained from food and days when they were commanded. Feast, drink, enjoy. Make plenty of food, give it away. Share with the poor, you know. Invite them into a meal. You know, it was about celebration. And today is for Christians a day of celebration. The fact that Jesus is alive from the dead is cause for joy and shouting and dancing and feasting. The resurrection of Jesus is a big deal. It has cosmic significance. The New Testament repeatedly refers to it. And today I want to read through and highlight some points from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians 1, first of all, 15 to the end, and then Ephesians 2 after that. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, God's people, do not cease giving thanks for you, while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. In accordance, these are, is added, but it shouldn't be. His power is towards us who believe in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ, when he, God, raised him, Jesus, from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age or world, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet, And gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. Jesus is raised from the dead and raised to the throne of God. The evidence is compelling. Annette and Brenda went to see a movie this week. I'm not telling on you, am I? They went to see a movie called Risen. And I thought I'd go with Carol maybe tomorrow to see it, but it's out of the movie theatres already. It's like Hollywood made it, then pretended they didn't want anybody to know about it. Uh, It's a film based upon the events after the resurrection of Jesus and how the Romans tried to cope with that and deal with that and what the Jews authorities and Romans kind of involved in all of that. And uh, I guess I'll have to get it on DVD now because it's no longer in the movies, theatres. But we're going to do that for our day off. But the evidence is compelling. More than a few people during history have set out to disprove the resurrection of Jesus. And yet many, having set out to disprove it, have come to believe that it's true. 
On my shelves at home are two books, both by lawyers who did that. They wrote, they examined the evidence and the documents as lawyers do and weighed it all up and they became convinced of the fact that Jesus, whose dead body was taken down from a cross and laid in a tomb, did indeed rise from the dead on the third day and was seen and touched and handled by eyewitnesses and actually the New Testament is the record of those eyewitnesses. I also have a book by a very liberal Anglican. In fact, he was the Anglican who, who um, wrote a famous book about, you know, do we need to believe in God anymore? But this same Anglican, just for fun, he said, set out to write a book to do some research about when was the New Testament written? Because, of course, liberal scholars and others say, oh, it wasn't written until a couple of hundred years later and people made it up to, to back up what their claims were and so on. And here's what this, in a sense, unbelieving Anglican theologian came up with. All right? His conclusion was this. The New Testament books were written within 30 years or so of the death and resurrection of Jesus, and the Gospels contain the eyewitness accounts of people who saw him, including his resurrection from the dead. <laughs> Thank you, Bishop Robinson. Yes. We knew that already, but never mind. You see, this is our faith. Jesus lived among us, God made flesh. God become man. No less God, and yet not anything other than truly man. We tend to put those together. It's a crude kind of expression, but he's the God-man. Two natures in one person. Truly God, truly man. Without dumbing down, if you want to put it that way, either side of that two natures in one person. Jesus lived among us. Jesus died our death for our sin. You see, the, the cross is not just an emblem, a symbol of Christianity. It's the very core of our faith because Jesus went to the cross in our place to die the death that we deserve because we're sinners. And he did so as a sinless, perfect man. But it was his sinlessness that made him the perfect sacrifice because then our sin could be laid upon him. If he'd had his own sin, he couldn't have taken us. But all of our sin was laid upon him so that his death on the cross was a sacrificial, representative death, making peace between God and us. And Jesus rose from the dead to give us life. That's the absolute core of Christian faith. What C.S. Lewis called mere Christianity. You can't, you can't strip it down anymore. That's the very heart of Christian faith. And if you don't believe that Jesus literally and physically rose from the dead, you're not a Christian believer. In fact, you're not really a believer, you're an unbeliever. And Jesus is not a ghost. He's not just a disembodied spirit. When he appeared amongst his disciples... He said, touch me, feel me, see, touch my hands, feel me. I'm, 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 flesh, I'm, I'm, I'm flesh and bone. I'm not a ghost. You got anything to eat? We've got some broiled fish, bring me some. And he ate in their presence to show that he was just as real a human being having been raised from the dead as he was before, except now he was a very extraordinary human being. Because when they'd shut themselves in for fear of the Jewish authorities, and the doors were closed, 
and they're, they're huddled around, worrying, anxious, fearful. Suddenly, Jesus turns up in the room. Now, you know, you can say, oh, that's a magic trick. No, that's, a, that's, that's supernatural. That's going beyond nature. Jesus had a supernatural, glorified, empowered body that, that can do, he can do extraordinary things. He can decide to be there and disappear. A glorified man was raised from the dead. Jesus of Nazareth. And that glorified, risen man now sits in the throne of God. Jesus, born of Mary, lived and died in Israel, raised from a borrowed tomb, now sits in the throne of God. Listen to it again. God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, far above, and every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he's put everything in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus is not only exalted above every name and authority, but far above. An unimaginable distance beyond. Jesus is not just a little bit more important than the President of the United States or the Prime Minister of England, who seems to think he's a President sometimes, but he isn't. Um, He's not just a bit above the rulers of this world. He is far above. What things are placed under his feet? All things. things. And over what is Jesus head or ruler to his church? Is anything out of his control? No. No. Is anything happening that he doesn't know and understand and is in control of? No. No. Is there anything that he can't do for the sake of his people? No. No. All things. Throne of God, far above, all authorities, all things under his feet, all things being ruled for the good of the children of God, the church of Jesus Christ. But here's the thing, please don't think that because Jesus is so raised that he is remote. As the God-man, he can never be remote from us. We need to hold these two things. Uh, it's a paradox, I know. Jesus is far above, and yet he is near. He is our brother. He is our friend. As a man, he knows us. He identifies with us. He feels with us. I'm preaching through the book of Hebrews, so I haven't, I'm not doing it next week either, so it's going to be a week or two before I get to it. But anyway. And in Hebrews, we've got this magnificent picture of the one who feels with us, the one who sympathizes with who knows our weaknesses. Like the psalmist says, he remembers our frailty. He knows that we are dust. But he's not just observing that. Jesus feels it because he shares our human nature. 
Jesus is still a man who knows humanity. But as God, he not only has sympathy, he has the power to help us. He's head over all things to his church. He really has the power to help us. When we call upon him, there is no lack of ability in him. Someone came to Jesus in his life and said, if, you, if you're willing, if you're able, you could heal me. If you're willing, you could... And Jesus said, why don't you doubt my ability or my willingness? Have faith. It's like, come ask me again then. Come on. And let's see. And I'll do something for you. Jesus again and again in teaching my prayers says, ask, ask, ask in my name, ask of me. Why? Because there is no lack in him. Many of us know the feeling of wanting to see someone helped. We are so desperately sorry for them, but we know we don't have the resources. We, we don't have the answer. There's nothing that we can make happen. Here's the contrast. Jesus feels just as much sympathy as any of us would for someone. But he actually has all the power necessary to help them too. There is no lack in him. He has all power. That's why the resurrection and exaltation of the Lord Jesus is every bit as good news today as it was to the women, to the disciples and the others who for a couple of days, thought he was altogether gone and his body was already decaying in a tomb. It is that good today to us. The news is just the same. He is not here. He is risen. But he is not remote. He is still Emmanuel, God with us. Ephesians tells us we've been raised with Christ the Lord. That's how Paul argues in his letters. He always puts these two things together. Not only did Jesus die for us, but we died with him at the cross, to our old life, to sin, to being lost, to being godless, to being rebels. We've died to that. And because we're now raised with Christ, we have new life in Jesus. We're raised with him. Jesus taught us about His life is in us, his power is towards us. Jesus taught us about living in him and him living in us. King James and other versions use the word abide because that's a word that sums up both living and remaining. It's like when you stay home, all right? Rainy weather, you stay indoors. You stay home. You live there. You abide there for the day. You don't go away, all right? That's the word abide, all right? So we live, we abide in Jesus and his words abide in us as a living, as a remaining, That's only possible because he's alive from the dead. He's the living Lord, the Lord of life. And his power is towards us. We read it just a few minutes ago. The surpassing greatness of his power towards. Did you get that? It's towards. It reaches out to us who believe. In accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his right hand. One of the songs we sing some Sundays is the same power that conquered the grave lives in me. We're sometimes better at singing the songs than believing the words. The same power 
That's what Ephesians says. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is towards us who believe. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave is at work in us who are the followers of Jesus. The same power that raised him from death and exalted him to glory and cosmic authority is at work in us. But I want to read through another bit of Ephesians as well. Ephesians 2, carrying on, verse 1 to 10. Because this is where it comes home to us. And you, wonderful people, you know, great citizens and upstanding people and noble characters and all of that, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, that's the devil. Of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust, old-fashioned word means appetites, of thy flesh, fallen humanity, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Went too fast? Oh. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that of yourselves. It is the gift of God. There it is. Not as the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. I've got out of order here. God made us alive together with Christ. You see, we were dead in our godlessness. We were dead in our rebellion. We were dead in our law-breaking. And if you argue, want to argue the point, well, I never did anything wrong. Oh, really? I think you need some more self-knowledge there. <laughs> we were dead towards God, dead in sin. But Jesus took our death on the cross and his resurrection has brought us new life and eternal life. If we've died in him, we shall live with him. And God seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, which is one that's out of order back there. Okay. These heavenly places are exactly the ones that we just read about. That Jesus is far above. He's seated in the heavenly places. It's the heaven of heavens, the, holy, the, the highest heaven that the angels sang at the birth of Jesus. It's the third heaven that Paul says he was caught up into and saw and heard things he, was, he wasn't permitted to speak of. It's, there aren't seven heavens, that's Islamic mythology. There are three heavens. There's the, the, the bit we see here where the birds fly and the clouds go, and there's a bit up there where the stars shine, and far beyond anything you can explain in physics or astronomy is the heaven of God, the throne room of God. That's where Jesus is seated with all authority. And look at this. That's where God has raised us to and seated us with him. Isn't that astounding? 
You say, well, what do we do? What do we do? You know, and some preachers say, well, we get to rule over things. We're going to command this and declare that. No, 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 you missed the picture. You missed the picture. We're seated with him. We don't take his place. He's the ruler. We're seated with him. Let me tell you what the picture is. This is, this is, this is an Old Testament or, or a kind of old ways, old days picture here. Right. The king has friend or friends. And he invites them in to sit with him. And they're going to sit with him during the day as he conducts his business of ruling and judging. Sit with me, my friend, while I go about my business. And the friend or friends observe the king's wisdom and justice and kindness and mercy and power. And they see how good a king he is. Because he's still their king. See, they may be his friend and even his close companion, but they're still his subject. He's still their king. We are seated with Christ so that as we observe him and his goodness and his kind rule, we become more and more assured that his rule over us, over me, is altogether good and wise and just. He is not going to do me harm. And even so, some preachers got it right when they say, our perspective in life is this, we're not under anything. We're seated with him. How do you feel? Well, I'm under this and under that. Well, that may be what something you're going through, but there's another perspective to life, which is that you are sitting with Christ. And you're going to outlast your troubles and outlive your tribulations. (laughs) And you will come to your glorious inheritance with him. Because he's already got you seated by him. We are raised and seated with Christ who rules all things for our good. We don't always see it. In fact, if I may add something in here. In the Old Testament, there's an incident where Joshua and the army of Israel are down in the valley and they're fighting, I think it's the Amalekites, and there's a vicious battle going on. Moses is up on the mountainside and he's raising his hands in prayer and while Moses prays and his hands are raised, the, the Israelites are winning. And you say, oh, that's a nice picture. Jesus is praying for us and we're in the battle. Yeah, that's true. But at the same time, Moses had friends with him who were standing by him. And actually, this, again, it's a paradox. It's, it's like two things. You can't make them agree. You've got to hold them both. We are in many battles in this life. And yet even while we are blooded and beaten, whatever else, we are still seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. It's another perspective on life. I'm, I will come through this. There will be another side. Because I already have my place in him, with him. And lastly, we will be raised with Christ. Jesus' resurrection from the dead is the guarantee and example of our resurrection from the dead. Debbie quoted it earlier. 
around the events of the resurrection, or it wasn't the resurrection, it was the resuscitation of Lazarus, bringing back Lazarus to life from the tomb. Jesus is saying these things, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And he who believes and lives and believes in me will never die. Our mortality, do you know what? My notes have got morality. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> Spell check it. Do you know when the, when the New International Version first came out, they messed up a scripture? It had in uh, Timothy where it says that the Gospels brought life and immortality to life. It had, it had that Jesus had brought life and immorality to life. It was not a big mistake, that one, wasn't it? That just send out free copies to anybody who complained. Our mortality will be changed to immortality. We will no longer be subject, not only not subject to death, but no, no longer subject to disease and suffering and aging. No more decline. No more fading powers. Our bodies will be made like his. When? On the last day. That's his promise in John's Gospel. And when that day comes, there will, be, of course, be people who will be living on that day. There will be Christians who will be living when Jesus comes on the last day. But whether we have died before that day or we live to that day, the final outcome will be the same. Some of us, if we die before then, will spend some time with him before we get our resurrection bodies. Others will miss their funeral altogether. But there is no advantage either way, Paul writes in his letters to the Thessalonians. What about after the last day then? Well, we'll live in an eternal day of a new heaven and a new earth, living in the light of his presence, being filled with his love, with his joy, with his peace. And here's some hints from what we read in Ephesians. We will be living in the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Those are God's riches and God's glory, but somehow they work in us. They're seen in us. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. He'll be showing off his children who are trophies of his grace. I don't know if he'll be showing them off too, maybe the angels. But we'll be trophies of God's grace through eternal days. This is our faith. This is our hope. Jesus. We believe that Jesus lived and died and rose again, that he lives and reigns now for us. As the Nicene Creed puts it, for us men and for our salvation. That's why Jesus came, born of the Virgin. That's why he lived amongst us. That's why he went to the cross and died in our place. That's why he was laid in a tomb. For three days. That's why he rose again from the dead. For us. And for our rescue. For our redemption. We are saved by grace through faith, but it's not just any faith. Whatever you want to make up and imagine as being your faith. It's faith in Jesus. You're a believer. Do you live your whole life? centered upon this faith in the Lord Jesus who loved you, and died for you, and now lives for you? 
Being a Christian is not a cultural identity. It's not observing certain calendar events like Easter or even having a regular church-going habit. It's living by faith, day by day, in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us and now lives and reigns for us and over us. And here's a few things that Jesus said about himself. He's the bread of life. To live in him and to feed on him is to be filled again and again with the life of God. He's the light of the world who shone into our hearts the knowledge of the glory of God and the wonder of the love of God. He is the door through whom all who enter receive eternal life. He's the doorway. He's the good shepherd who gave his life for the life of the sheep and still tends and cares for those who are his sheep. We're under his care, his government. How many of you know the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want? Go and read it and believe it. The Lord Jesus is my shepherd. He's the resurrection and the life. And those who live and believe in him will never die. And if you do die, you won't die. (laughs) You'll be with him. He's the way and the truth, and the life, and the only way to God. He's the true vine, and those who are joined to him and stay connected to him receive his life flowing into them the way that a branch receives sap from the vine. Joined to Jesus, flowing with life from him. He's our wisdom from God, and our righteousness, and our sanctification, and our redemption. He's the living Lord Jesus. We can know him, we can love him, we're here to serve him. Do you see, it's all about life. In and through Jesus we have life, his resurrection life, eternal life. 1 John 5.12, he who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son does not have life. Paul puts it this in a number of places. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, but yet not I, but the life I now live is by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In another place he says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. In another place he says, when Christ, who is our life, appears. He is our life. He's the whole thing. It's all about him. I have no life other than his life. Becoming a Christian is having life in and from Jesus through trusting him every day. We're not called to live out as some sort of performance before the eyes of God, doing our best. We are filled with the life and presence of his Son. And he gives us all we need for life. Grace, wisdom, courage, strength, peace, joy. By his death and resurrection, as we saw on the video at the beginning of the morning, which some of you weren't here for, but there you go. By his death and resurrection, he has conquered sin, Satan and death. Let me ask you a question. Has he conquered you? You're waiting, well, how does he beat me? No, the gospel invites you to bow your knee. It's not about being forced into submission. Yeah, I submit. Though God had to do a bit of that with me, but that's another story. More than a bit. 
It's about bowing your knee, bowing your head, bowing your heart, and submitting to him who is Lord. You don't make him Lord. You can't add one atom to the authority and power and reign that Jesus has. But you submit to his lordship, to his authority. And you say, I want only the life that you give to me. My old life can go. I only want this life now. Shall we pray together? Maybe people here this morning, you need to pray a prayer right now. I can give you an idea, but I don't want to put just a form of words in your mouth. It's not about magic words. It's about an honest heart which says to the Lord Jesus today, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died in my place for my sin. And you rose again so you could give me life. I want only the life that comes through trusting you now. Just say something like that to him. Because like I said before, he is not remote. Right now, his heart, his attention and affection are toward you. And you are not here by some mere circumstance today. You are here so that you would hear the gospel about Jesus. Surrender yourself to him right now. Admit he is Lord. And you want him to be your Lord. He is the shepherd and you want him to be your shepherd. He is the life and you want him. Holy Spirit, we ask that you will work in the hearts of us all especially those who have prayed something like that prayer right now. That we might again and again be reminded by your gracious help that we do not live to ourselves. And if we die, we wouldn't die to ourselves. We live for Christ, who loved me and gave himself for me. The life we now have is lived by faith in the Son of God. And he, Lord Jesus, you are our life. And when you appear, we will be like you. And it will be enough for us throughout all eternity to have you and to be with you and to be like you. Amen.